Good morning. It's good to be alive today, isn't it? Amen. Yeah, praise God. Praise God for those of us who know Jesus Christ. We have hope in him, nothing to be fearful of, no reason to be discouraged. We can stand on his promises today, can't we? Amen. We can stand on his promises. We serve a great God. Paul is trying to remind us of that in his final lap on the the track. He's reminding us that we all have a gun lap, and he's telling that to young Timothy. And so he turns this letter in another direction, and he says to young Timothy in some way or some form or fashion, run an attractive race. And what I mean by that is run a race that gains the attention of the world and points them to Jesus. Run in such a way when you run this race that people say, I want whatever you got. (laughs) And whatever you got must be Jesus because I don't have what you have. And so he's living out his life in such a courageous way that others are seeing it. And he's reminding Tim, run with the grace and power and strength of Jesus, but also run with the source, knowing that Jesus is your source of power. Young Timothy is coming up, and Paul is just months away from from dying, and he's reminding him that not only is this race the only one that matters, but run in such a way that others want what you have. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 13. I would just ask you to stand and open your Bibles and we'll read it out loud together. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. And look at how Paul says this to young Timothy. 2 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 13. Would you read it with me out loud? Ready, read. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You may have a seat. Jesus is the source of power. That's what, how Paul begins this part of the, this letter. He reminds him. And so just sink in again. Sometimes we lose sight of that. You, you and I are not in this life alone. We are not running this race alone. We are empowered with high fuel octane called Jesus Christ because he lives in us. We can lose sight of that and understand that because we're human. And there'll be moments you, you, you wonder... Does Jesus live in me? But we need to speak to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. The same God, Colossians 3 says, holds, Colossians 1 holds the world together, lives in you and me. The same God that's the Alpha and Omega is stronger than any force outside of us. 
The same God that's the sustainer of life is our source of strength. We might feel like we're running on limited power, but Jesus is eternal power. We have what it takes because King, yes, King Jesus lives in us. Amen? Amen. King Jesus lives in us. But maybe the reason we fall so often is that we love our sin more than we do our Savior. We like this better than this. You see, when you fall in love with something, you are attracted to that. You, you invest your time in that. And what Paul is reminding Timothy, keep your love hot for Jesus. Walk in his strength and his power so that you can have an attractive race that points others to Jesus. He tells young Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what is that? That's the grace that was demonstrated on the cross by Jesus' death and was exerted at the resurrection in us. Paul is reminding Timothy to never, 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 never give up because Jesus never gives up. And live your life with a sense of urgency because the world needs Jesus. There are many stories that come out regarding the Titanic and here's a person that understood what it meant to live their life with a sense of urgency and knew that the strength that they had in themselves wasn't their own but it was Jesus' strength. And this person did this at the sinking of the Titanic. True story because the survivor went on to tell the story. The story goes, the night of the Titanic when it sank in 1912 on April 14, 1,528 people went into the frigid waters. One man by the name of John Harper, after putting his only daughter on a lifeboat, was seen swimming frantically to people in the water, leading them to Jesus before hypothermia became fatal. Reverend Harper's story goes, swam up to one young man who had climbed on a piece of debris. Reverend Harper asked him between breaths, are you saved? The young man replied, he was not. Harper then tried to lead him to Christ, only to have the young man, who was near shock, reply, no. John Harper then took off his life jacket, threw it to the man and said, here, then, you need this more than I do, and swam away to other people. A few minutes later, Harper swam back to the young man and succeeded in leading him to salvation. Of the 1,528 people that went into the water that night, six were rescued by lifeboats. One of them was this young man on the debris. Four years later, at a survivor's meeting, this young man stood up in tears and recounted how John Harper had led him to Christ. Reverend Harper, he said, had tried to swim back to help other people, yet because of the intense cold, had grown too weak to swim. He said his last words before going under the frigid water were, quote, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The author of this account says, does Hollywood remember this man? No, oh well, no matter. This servant of God did what he had to do while other people were trying to buy their way onto lifeboats, and you remember that, and were selflessly trying to save their own lives, John Harper gave up his life so others could be saved. John Harper knew what it meant to live and run an attractive race. 
part of it is we don't see ourselves the way Jesus and, and God and the three in one know us. We see our failures in this race and we think we can't be used. I fell again. Like, I can never have a tractor race. People know too much about me. They remember me in high school. They remember when I was on drugs. They remember when I did this. And the reality is when God looks at us in this race, he sees us covered with the righteousness of Jesus. I wish we had that glimpse that he does. The Bible tries to remind us this is who we are and we need to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. Hear it again for me today. When God looks at you right now, he sees you covering with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how he views you. At some point in this journey, we need to come to grips with that. And when we do, instead of believing the lies of the enemy, we will run in such a way that the world will be one to Jesus. We will develop what Paul is trying to develop in Timothy. I would say Jesus freaks who will tell others. You never know who you're inviting to run the race with you. That's why we're here, by the way. When you and I look forward to heaven and all it offers you, you continue to invite others to join you. I want you to think about that statement. Is that true for you? When you really look forward to something, what do you do? Hey, come join me. You gotta go, you gotta go listen to that group. You gotta own one of these. You gotta ride this. You gotta go to that park. You have to eat this food. Oh, that restaurant is. And when you really, really understand the realities or how good it is, what do you do? Come do it. Like, hey, I'll go with you again. I've been there, I'll go again. It's so good. When you look forward to heaven and all it offers you, you continue to invite others to join you. Let me ask you a question. Could it be the reason you don't share your faith is because you're too attached to things of earth? Could it be the reason you're not inviting others to the goodness of Jesus Christ is because you love this and all this, whatever your this is, more than the realities of heaven? If you're not inviting people to join you in heaven, then you begs an answer to a question. Why? But when you are, you can't shut you up. Why? Because you know what it is to be a child of God and what is to come. That could be a very convicting answer. Who's the last person you invited? Some of you have lived in neighborhoods, you work with people, some of you have family members, and you have not even had a conversation with them about the goodness of God in heaven. Why? Maybe, just maybe, you're more attached to earth. And Paul looks at his young Timothy. He says, run in this strength. It's worth standing for the cause of Jesus Christ. You know my story I came to know Christ as a four and a half year old in a Sunday school class 54 years ago. Almost 55 now. Actually 55 years ago. And a sweet lady by the name of Mabel Huff told me there was a God would never leave me nor forsake me. And she said, Jimmy Brown, if you trust in Jesus, he'll be with you the rest of your life. And you know what? I believed her. Now backstory on Mabel Huff, some of you know, some of you don't. Her husband was an alcoholic who didn't know God. But she did. And she remained faithful to the cause, and she knew what it, what it meant to run that gun lab. She taught Sunday school for 50 years. 
And she has led hundreds of people to Christ because of her love for Jesus. I was one of them. I, I'm eternally grateful for Mabel Huff. While writing this message on Friday, I am working through this message. I receive a message from a friend of Ann and I from Hagerstown, a 75-year-old lady that we went to church with, Carol Ebersol. She sends me this message on Facebook Messenger, and I see it. She says, Jim, I know how much you love Mabel and what she means to you. She says, I came across this photo this week of Mabel, and I thought you might enjoy it. I'm writing this, and God says, there is someone who went before you, Jim, and her name is Mabel. And she sent this photo of Mabel Huff. This is Mabel. Like, and when I, be quite frank, when I saw it, I just sat at my desk and wept, tears of joy. This is from a church picnic. She would used to come into the church picnic riding these horses, pulling a wagon. This, this is Mabel Huff right here. Take, take a look at her. <laughs> Don't you just love that? <laughs> but she would bring her horses in her wagon, and then she would come in, and she would put all the kids in the back and take them for a ride. I live today for Christ and get to tell you about Christ because of this reliable person in Christ who shared the gospel. Who might be that person that you share with? And Paul's saying, Timothy, make sure you keep your fire hot. Make sure in verse two, look what he says. He says, look, he says, and the things you have heard from me, Tim, say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people like Mabel Huff who will also be qualified to teach others. In my life, I am drawn, I am, to people who have a deep, visible joy for Christ. I'm attracted to that. Like, what makes you tick? Like, how can you have joy in the midst of that hardship? I'm drawn to people who stand above their circumstances. I'm drawn to people with an infectious, relentless faith and fighting spirit. I love people who have courage and are willing to go to hard places for Jesus. It's one of the primary reasons I, I love my wife, Anne. She's that woman. That's the caricature of my wife. She has an infectious joy. She has a relentless fighting spirit. And when we go together and do things, or I come to her and she, she'll say, Jim, I trust God. I'm going to trust God. Go. It's one of the reasons I love her, and it's one of the reasons I love hanging out with our own kids. Faith brims over the edge. Seriously, I've said this, but I'll say, I will stand at the gates of hell with the Browns and DeVries because they love Jesus and do it in an attractive way, and their faith inspires me to be like Jesus. Paul says, run in such a way, Tim, that the aroma of Jesus, like, for lack of better words, that you smell like Jesus, <laughs> Paul was a picture of this faith. Wouldn't you love to sit down with Paul? Wouldn't you just like, hey, Paul, come. In fact, if he was coming to a city near me, I would drive there to hear from Paul. Wouldn't you want to hear him speak? And wouldn't you want to run near him in the race? He used his great gift of leadership to the maximum. Not all of us are Pauls, but we can still run in a way that impacts the world for Jesus. Sometimes we forget who Paul was. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament, but turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's worth looking at him writing about himself. He kind of said, this is what I've experienced. So by the way, if you think you're having a bad day, just read this four times a day. 
2 Corinthians 11, this is Paul, this is the veteran on his gun lap, sharing with young Timothy. Look at verse 23, it says, are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? He said, I am more. Now here's what he said, this is Paul. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of the concerns for all the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? I do not inwardly burn. But he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father, the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor and king had in the city of Damascus, he's guarded in order to arrest me. And then he said, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. And when he spoke, Timothy listened. Why? Wouldn't you want to have breakfast with him? Why? Because he had a courageous faith. And he's reminding Timothy, it will be hard, endure hardship. But I have too. It is worth it. Some of you say, Pastor Jim, I'm not wired that way. Yes, just use your gifting for Jesus. We're all different. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, take every opportunity to open your life and home to others. So however God has gifted you, use that gift when you run this race. I'm inspired by this lady. She took her gifts of hospitality. She opened her home so that people could be loved on and cared for. She is the picture of what Paul is talking about right here. Take a look at Ludmilla from Czechoslovakia. In my lifetime, I have experienced the rule of two totalitarian regimes. One was the German Nazis, and the second was the Russian Communists. The Word of God says 366 times, do not be afraid, do not fear. So we weren't afraid. After 40 years of communism here, the fact that many believers left the country. The Czech Republic has been called the most atheist place in Europe. It breaks my heart. My name is Ludmila Harilova. 
I'm 82 years old. I have seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. My husband went to heaven in 2002. The Lord Jesus told me, now he is my husband, and he wants to continue to use me. He wants me to be his representative, his ambassador. Next to the door of my house, there is a bronze sign that says, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. My home is an extension of Christ's kingdom. It's a place where people can come and look for help if they're in trouble or have a need. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the atmosphere I want here at the embassy. The visitors that I get, some of them have called ahead to let me know they're coming, and some just come. The ones that haven't called are usually the best ones because I'm not prepared for them. Everything that happens is dependent on the Lord. Today, a dear friend came by. She's a widow, and her family really are struggling financially. Whenever people enter this house, I just lay everything else aside and spend time with them. I have learned to recognize the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and give Him room to use me. The Holy Spirit likes to take control. Often I listen to myself and I'll say things I wouldn't even think about. There is no problem to deal with the issues that people bring when they come here because the Holy Spirit is here. It's an honor for me to be an instrument of God's love and His wisdom every day. We often don't realize that all believers are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are all ambassadors. The Lord Jesus didn't choose to do it any other way. He simply entrusted us. Wouldn't you like to sit down with Ledmilla? Wouldn't you like to get close to her and her race? Wouldn't you like to have tea with Ludmilla? Wouldn't you want to sit with her and have her pray for you? 
Aren't you drawn to her courage and her love for others? I understand we're all wired differently. I'm wired differently than most of you, and most of you are wired differently than me. But God has gifted us, and he's given us all gifts. Maybe, just maybe, we've sat them on the shelves because we're more attached to earth than we are to heaven. Maybe we're more selfish than we realize. Maybe we need this letter more than Timothy needed it 2,000 years ago. Maybe the Holy Spirit is setting up this message for you today to say, you are on your gun lap. How many people will live on for Jesus because of you. I am eternally grateful for Mabel Huff. I'm eternally grateful for people like Ludmilla. I'm drawn to the Pauls. But we need all of us, Paul is saying, to be a representative of Jesus Christ. I would also say this about this race. It's fun to be in the center of God's will. It can be an exciting, adventurous race. But has it become boring and stale for you? Is your race dry? Maybe, just maybe, you're in the wrong lane. Maybe, just maybe, you've gotten distracted by the civilian affairs of the world. Maybe you're running by sight and not by faith. By the way, it has nothing to do with age. In fact, Paul was an elder man, imprisoned, and at the end of his life, he's passing on the truth of Jesus Christ. You might even be limping home to the finish line, but do it with a courageous grin on your face. Run with a hospitable spirit. I was talking to Anne this week, as I often do, as thoughts are running through my mind, and she offers such good insight. And, and I said this to my wife this week. I said, I wonder if those that are inviting people into their homes on earth are the same people who are inviting people into heaven. I wonder if there's a connection between hospitable and hospitality and inviting people to heaven. In other words, if you aren't opening up your home now, why would you invite anyone into heaven? And if you are inviting people now, I suspect there's a direct connection that you're inviting people to join you in heaven. In other words, if you aren't in the habit of opening up your home, inviting now, why would you invite others to join you later? 
there's a great resource on hospitality, but I read, read this on Monday, and I just want to invite you to consider reading a good book on hospitality. It's called The Turquoise Table. It's a book with a lot of pictures, and it's great for me. I'm a visual learner. It has recipes, and, but the underlying truth in this story written by this lady, she took a picnic table and wanted to reach her community. She felt like she had lived on the street for so long and didn't know her neighbors. She would wave to them but didn't know them and felt this tug at her heart, I need to tell others about Jesus. And she soon realized that everyone in her community was doing life in their backyards. And she said, how can I reach my neighbors if there's fences and everyone's in their backyard? So she took a picnic table and painted it turquoise and stuck it in her front yard and in doing so, she began to go out. She says, it was awkward at first. I had this picnic table. I'd go out and, and sit at the front table, and I would, I would sip on some coffee. I began having Bible studies by the table. And she says, that grew into, people were walking by that I'd never noticed in my community. And I would wave and have a conversation. And, and that grew into, people would sit. I brought out coffee and put it at my table. I put fresh donuts, sometimes fresh vegetables. And she said, children would walk by with their parents, and my kids would put out candy for the kids. And, and she said, all of a sudden, this place became a gathering spot in our community because I took myself from my backyard to my front yard to engage the community, which began a movement called the Turquoise Table all over Texas where people began taking things from their backyards, which, what happened next? People moved their fire pits to their front yards. And this community became a close-knit community, and many in this community came to know Christ. Maybe instead of building a taller fence around your yard, you need to build a bigger table. Are you hospitable? Like, really, who's the last person that wasn't a family member that has been in your house that you extended an invitation just because they're your neighbor? Paul moves from that, then moves to the analogy of the three types of people. He said, be like a soldier, be like an athlete, be like a farmer in verses four to five. A soldier, he says, doesn't get distracted by civilian affairs. In other words, the current events that are happening, he is on mission, she is on mission, she has received her orders from the commanding officer, her commander-in-chief, and when they're on the battlefield, they don't let the Dow Jones market distract them from finishing the mission. They don't get distracted and find out that Menards has 20% off, I need to go buy something. They're not distracted that they heard that Chick-fil-A is now open on Sunday. Well, they might be a little bit, but they're not distracted by that. They are on mission doing the work of Jesus Christ. When I mow at our house, it's a long stretch from the front of our road to the back of our field. And I enjoy mowing. It's, it's, it's a long ways. We have three acres, three and a half acres. And so as I mow our grass, because I want to keep a straight line, in order to keep a straight line, I look clean across the, the hay field that surrounds our property, and I go over to the cow pasture of Chris Herbs, and at the cow pasture of Chris Herb is a fence, and there are fence posts. So I'll start from County Road 146, and I'll take the mower, our cub cadet, and I'll drive straight ahead, but it, while I'm driving my mower and cut, I am focusing on that fence post. And as long as I stay on that fence post, my lines are straight, and when I get to the end, I can look back and go. 
But if I lose sight of the fence posts when I take my tractor and my phone rings and I get distracted by civilian affairs and I'm trying to ride and, and cut, or if those daggone martin birds that want to eat all the mosquitoes that pop up when you're mowing, if I'm ducking over them and I can't keep my, my, fate, my, my gaze on the post, guess what happens? When I look back, it's... Jesus says through Paul, keep your focus like a soldier. Don't get distracted by stuff of the world. Keep Jesus hot front and center. So be focused like a soldier. And then he says, be like the athlete. I don't know if you know, but during this time when this was written, if you wanted to be an Olympic athlete, you would make a commitment and you would swear with your hand in the air before Zeus, by the way, a god, little g, that you would dedicate your body to rigorous training for no less than 10 months. In fact, the failure after making that commitment as an Olympic athlete meant automatic disqualification if you miss one day of training. And if you didn't follow the rules of training and you cut corners, they were often fined with serious offenses and many were scourged because they made a commitment to be an Olympic athlete to stand for the cause of their country. And if they veered left or right of the rules or didn't commit to the rigorous training, they were disqualified or scourged by it. And so he says, be dedicated. A fearless tenacity to be in God's word, a fearless commitment to, to grow, a fearless commitment to influence, a fearless commitment to pray, a fearless commitment that I got orders from the headquarters and every day I'm going to grow, I'm going to learn, I'm going to be more like Jesus. And he says, the farmer, so the soldier be focused, the athlete be dedicated, and he says, be like the farmer. I have great respect for farmers. I love farmers. Their display of sweat and toil earns them in my eyes, and the text here, they have the right to eat the harvest first. They work in all types of weather. They display great faith. And he says, be diligent like the farmer who gets up early and stays up late. And when it's harvest season, they're out all nights of the hour. And when it's planting season, they're out. And, they're, and when it's not those seasons, they're fixing their, their, their equipment. They are constantly thinking about what is to come. Their mind is always focused. They are diligent in their tasks. He says, task, when you run, run like them. Every one of these examples gives us credence that prayer is the connector that helps them get through what they are doing. I want you to think about prayer for a second, how important it is. And Paul writes about it in all of his letters and even in this letter. Prayer is God's preordained way that he has appointed to execute his will on earth. And what do I mean by that? God has strategically placed us as in places to pray and use our prayers to accomplish his plan. Some have asked me, and maybe you've asked this question, do pray, does prayer really matter? Like, if God is a sovereign God, does it really matter if we pray? 
Does it affect the outcome if we don't pray? Does God need our prayers? If he's sovereign and fully in control, then why pray? If, if he is a sovereign, omnipotent God, then and his will is going to be accomplished. And, and, and if we know that many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's God's purpose for failure, then why pray? Because God has strategically in his sovereign understanding and rule placed us in the center of his plan so that when we pray, the answer comes. Wherever you are, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family gatherings, your schools, you are the connector to God's answers. Think about it that way. Think about it. When you don't pray, the link between God and the answer is broken. God has appointed us to ask him for things he wants to give. That's why we use the word intercede on behalf of others. Your prayer connects God to the situation on earth. And God says in his word, if we don't ask, we don't receive. And so in his plan, when we pray, so listen, I'm praying, baby. (laughs) I want to see the fullness of God be played out in your life, my family's life, our church's life, our world. I'm praying right now that God would annihilate this virus because he has strategically placed me and us in the middle of it. And I believe that God can annihilate. And so I keep asking and knocking and begging because that's what he told me to do. J.D. Greer wrote a good book. I read this last week. It's a great read on prayer. It's called Just Ask. It's a 21 uh, printing copy. But he talks a a little bit about this in regards to God using us. Listen to this story by J.D. He says, once I was flying to Taipei to visit some missionaries on a cross-ocean leg of the flight, I sat next to a woman whom I noticed was reading a book by David Jeremiah, the hugely popular radio preacher and a personal mentor of mine, when I struck up a conversation with her. Hey, where are you headed? Yeah, literally, I said that. Not until I had the words came off my lips, I realized how silly they were. We're going to the same place, Taipei. (laughs) What are you going to be doing there, I followed up. That proved to be a better question. She told me she retired a few years before. I made a lot of money really fast, she said, but I'm kind of restless and I really need to find myself, she said. I'm just still not settled in life in my retirement. I'm on a search for the divine. I'm looking for God. And so I said to her, does he live in Taipei? No, she laughed. As far as I know, God doesn't live in Taipei. I'll be honest with you, she said. I had a really disappointing experience so far. This is my second trip there. I'm really attracted to the way of life over there, but I'm really not any closer to answers than when I started. I was there for several months and came back to the United States because my sister had gotten really sick, and and we don't think she's going to make it much longer. And I know that she might pass away because we're about the same age, and I might pass away. I'm just so confused, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure of anything right now. And so J.D. said, I asked, well, what's with the David Jeremiah book? Well, she said, I heard him on the radio, and he sounded like he knew God. So I thought, I'd buy his book, and maybe he can lead me to God. I asked, what have you thought as you read it? 
I don't know, she replied. I've only read a few pages and I'm confused and I don't know where to turn. Just yesterday I prayed, she said, God, if you're out there or if you're up there, would you please reveal yourself to me? Ma'am, I said, I don't want to be too presumptuous, but I think God might answer your prayers. We got eight hours, let's go. (laughs) He said, I pulled out my Bible and walked her through the life of Jesus. She read passage after passage out loud. You could see the light coming on with a turn of every page. In about two hours, I asked her this question. How many people do you think are on this plane? And she said, about 250. And I said, out of all these people, I said, you and I got assigned to a seat next to each other. You have prayed for God to show himself to you. Is this a coincidence? I'm not anything special, but I'm God's instrument in this moment, and I can tell you with the authority of his word that he wants you to belong to him. It was then, J.D. said, somewhere over the Pacific that she bowed her head and accepted Christ's offer to save her soul. Just as God has hardwired us to run on food, he has hardwired his purpose to be actualized by prayer. Grace, if you're not a praying person, then number one, you're neglecting the will of God and you're missing out on what God wants on his earth and with his people and for you. As he gets to the end of this chapter, he reminds him to look to the example of Jesus, run for the race for Jesus and not the applause. And he says, look what he says in verse eight. He says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is the gospel for I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. He said, look at the example of Jesus. If you need an example that you think it's hard and difficult and you're having a bad day, then look at Christ's life. Don't let hardship throw you to the infield. I love Jesus Christ with all of my heart. I do. I'm so grateful that he saved me. I love his tenacious spirit. I love his courage. I love his tenderness and his humility. And here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus looked death in the eyes and ate it for breakfast. Can you imagine Jesus rolling up to a restaurant and he says, sir, what would you like for breakfast? Well, let's see. This morning I'll take 40 lashes of salt, a a scourging of whipped eggs, some nail coffee, and a death biscuit. But I want you to know I'll be back in three days for some resurrection pie. That's Jesus. That's good preaching. I don't care who you are. (laughs) Paul says, these chains will never stop me from sharing the gospel They're just a minor inconvenience. I love this interaction with Paul, with this young Timothy, this up-and-coming gold medal contender. He's reminding him that you need to continue to reproduce other reproducers. He reminds him that it's not about him, but it's all about Jesus. I believe this with all my heart, and maybe you don't, but maybe I can sway you a little bit this morning. I believe we can change a culture. I believe that we can still influence our community for Jesus Christ. 
I believe we do it by spurring others onto good works. This is my hope when I pass. When I die, I don't want people to miss me. I want them to remember Jesus Christ. The greatest compliment that will ever be given when I die is not, remember what Jim did? But what people are still doing for Jesus in my absence. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. It's not about me, but I want to pass this on to you because my gun lap has sounded, the gun has sounded, I'm about to finish, but we need to produce reproducers that are sharing the gospel too. Then he gives us this reminder, like this is so good, you could put this on a frame in your house. Look at these verses, 11, he says, Paul says, Timothy, remember this, here's a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we also live with him. And he says, if we endure him, we also reign with him. And he says, if we disown him, he will disown us. That's non-believers. When they disown him, he disowns them because he doesn't know them. But then he says this, what an encouraging word, and every one of us need it 50 times a week. If we are faithless, and we will be, he will remain what? Faithful, for he cannot disown himself. The reason we're able to accomplish good is not because we are good, but because God is good. And he will use our races for good when it appears our good falls short. (laughs) Do you hear me? That means we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, but a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. Listen to that again. The reason we're able to accomplish good is not because we are good, but because God is good. And he will use our races for good when it appears our good falls short. I wrote that at five o'clock this morning, but it's true. Sometimes we lose sight in this race that there's other people in the race and there's people that love us, that are cheering us on and supporting us. And sometimes we forget what's to come and and the truth is, listen listen to me, you need to hear, we win in the end. (laughs) And Satan knows that, by the way. But we need to remember that we, are, we aren't running a race that we're not going to win. We, we win. <laughs> so run like a winner. That's what a coach does. Isn't, it, isn't a good coach, isn't that, isn't that one of the things they're able to do, is pull something out of someone that they don't realize is in them and help them understand. Like run with a winner's, winner's mentality. You have what it takes. And if collectively you come together as one and run this, there is no stopping. And as long as you give your best, you won. But in this case, not only give your best, we won the victory in the end too. In case you forgot, just, just listen to this. Just, just listen. Let this sweep over you. If, you. if you're so overwhelmed with evil in our world and distraught with uncertainty and you feel like Satan is winning, just, just, just remember this. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, don't turn there, just listen. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from the prison, his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of earth, Gog and Magog. You can go to Ezekiel 38 and 39. And it says to gather them for battle. He, he wants to fight. He thinks, I've been chained for a thousand years. I'm coming out. And for a thousand years, he's ticked. He's ticked because he's been chained for a thousand years right after the seven years of tribulation. So for a thousand years during the millennium, Satan has been bound. And, tied. and at the end, it says, near the end of this thousand year reign, they finally said they unchain him. He's like, I'm going to go gather people all over the earth. I'm going to bring them from Gog and Magog. We're going to come and we're going to finally, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to lose what we're going to do. <laughs> 
And he says this, he went and gathered for this battle. It says in number, they're like sand on the seashore. He gathered millions of people at the end of the millennium. And it says, they marched across the breath of the earth, surrounded, it says, by God's people, the city he loves. And then it says, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Then it says, and, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning fire where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. And they will, listen, 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 listen. They will be tormented day and night forever, ever, 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 ever. We win in the end. You're not running this race in an aimless way. I'm a sports fan and I, I enjoy everything about it. I love the training. I love the chemistry. I love listening to a coach. I, I love the support. I, I love when you rally together and you try to give your best and, and you go for a win. Like, and I'm a sports fan. I, I'm wired that way and I'm glad my wife allows me to be. <laughs> and so sometimes I'm moved by just watching fans. My Bible tells me this in Hebrews chapter 12, in your Bible 2, 1 and 2, that you and I right now are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. So when you got up this morning, and I got up this morning, and then we, we, we took our first step out of bed, before you took your first step, there is this crowd in heaven. Picture this if you can. They saw you entering into this stadium of life, and they are on their feet. You can do this. <laughs> you got what it takes. You got Jesus. Go, run, don't give up. And if you fall down, get back up. They are cheering. It's like this loud millions of people who have gone on before us, right? You're running into the stadium. You're coming in. And before you go, you want to go, man. Have you ever had the support of someone at the finish line of a race? I had it in my family when I was finishing that marathon, my first one. I was running down 10 years ago, and I'm looking down there. I could see Ann, and I'm coming to the finish line like this. <laughs> Everything's cramped up on me, and my calves are all cramped up, and, and it's like, oh, <laughs> what's happening to my body? And I could see Ann. I could see the kids. Dad, go, Dad, go. So I was like, <laughs> something happened to me. Tim Helmuth sent me a video this week of the Wisconsin jump, and he said, you got to be able to use this in a sermon somewhere. Tim, no, when you sent that to me, I'm right here in my message. And I'm looking, what would be a great way? Bam, there it was. This is what the Wisconsin players get every week. This is the support they feel before they take the field on the first play. This is what we have in heaven every day before we put our feet on the ground to start the day. Take a look at this. It's called the Wisconsin Jump. Here we go. It's been 600. And 51 days.
That's happening in heaven before you put a foot on the ground. Randy and Cammie, every day of your life, Nick and Shanae, every single day of your life, the cloud of witnesses is saying, it is worth it. We win. You have what it takes. But something happens to us, doesn't it? We forget who we are. We forget that we have been empowered by King Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, we need to go back and remind ourselves of how good it is to know Jesus. Maybe, if we did, that we would be the church that God intended us to be. Maybe we should pray, God, take us back to that place in that musty Sunday school classroom where I heard the truth and it changed my life forever. Help us, God. Take us back that simple pursuit of you. Relight the fire in us. Let us make a difference in this race. Help us to run as if this is the final lap. In Jesus' name, amen.